2: Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, your home for inspiring conversations with outdoor insiders. Each week, author, speaker, adventurer, and outdoor industry veteran Rick Sayes talks in depth with iconic brand founders, sales and marketing pros, product designers, and industry rising stars. Listen in when Rick's guests offer actionable advice to land your ideal industry gig and grow your outdoor career. Catch us again when the conversation shifts to the hottest outdoor products, destinations, and the latest industry insights. And now, here's Rick.
0: Welcome to episode 265 of the Outdoor Biz Podcast. We're talking with acclaimed photographer, filmmaker Corey Rich, brought to you this month by Wolfgang Man and Beast. Corey Rich says that long ago he learned the technical part of any job is 10%. Creativity, problem-solving, optimism, and surrounding yourself with intelligent, hard-working people is the remaining 90%. When you know how to be creative and assemble the right team, that's when all the great things come. We talk about how he grew his photo career into prolific, creative photo and video offerings that grace much of the media we've been
3: drooling over for the past 20-plus years. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's really great to catch you up. It's been too long.
0: Yeah, it's been a long time. I was trying to think. I think the last time we were together was one of the events in Jackson where we were... I forget what it was. It was either one of those workshops, or we were doing a yeah. product thing. I can't. I don't remember. But
3: yeah, it might have been one of the uh, the summit adventure workshops. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. Sadly, I'll admit they're still thriving. But I have, every year I intend to be there and get pulled away <laughs> for an assignment.
0: But well, you're still the global traveler, from what from little that I can. To follow you on you're just all over the place. We'll talk a little bit about that.
3: I would say that's true up until I guess March of 2020, mm, right. when the pandemic hit. And I've like many people, I think a lot of our lives really changed and evolved during the pandemic over the last roughly year. Oh man! Yeah. And for and for me, it's I was doing a book tour. I had a book come out in the fall of 2019, mm-hmm. and I was doing a, a, a book tour early 2020. And I remember my last stop was in New York City. Oh, and it was wow. as the world was wrapping their heads around, you know, what does COVID nineteen mean? And I remember pulling into. I was staying at like a Marriott property, and I remember on the. I did a quick workout in the morning, and I jumped in a cab to go to the airport. And I remember talking to my wife, and she said, "Why don't you stop at a CVS and get like hand sanitizer and a mask?" <laughs> and of course, I, I'm in New York City, and I stopped at a CVS, and there wasn't a hand sanitizer in sight <laughs> or a mask right and I and I got on like my last flight back to Reno nevada to come home to tahoe and except for one excursion over the last 12 months I've all but been home yeah and I mean we've done a few driving assignments but my world's really evolved my my business went from you know traveling 200 plus days a year and either directing in person or depressing the shutter in person to tons of remote directing and creative consulting. A few shoots where we gathered a crew when it felt safe and took all of the COVID protocols. And it's been, I have to admit, this may be the first time I'm admitting it out loud, but certainly in public, it's been like the most fantastic (laughs) year of my life to be home Home and have a yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. My seven and a half year old daughter, Layla, she wakes up. Seven and, and a half. I'm, How'd that happen? I think she was like two last time yeah, I saw her. Yeah. No no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> That's great. But it's been pretty amazing Rick, to be, she wakes up and I'm at the house unless I'm out ski touring or riding my bike. Right. And you know, I get, I'm home when she goes to bed and I don't know, I, I can't say, I can't say that there's been a single moment. Where I felt this burning desire to get back on a plane and do a complicated sequence of travel to some yeah. remote place yeah. during this year. And I think when it turns on again, I'll be just as excited as I used to be to explore the open road and, and be out there. But I am soaking in every minute of, of being at home. and I would and, be doing the
0: same. Yeah, I would yeah. be doing the same. And we've all had, like you said, we've all been impacted by it in our own. I used to travel a fair amount too. Not so much since I came back to Bishop and settled into the the work I'm doing now, like you on the road hundreds of uh, of days a year and it changes you. And it it really, I think creates an adventure wanderlust in you that you look forward to. But then when it stops, I'm the same. I'm, you know what, this is cool hanging out here in Bishop and doing the podcast and getting to explore some of the area and stuff. Yeah. It changes us. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I would say the only missing piece that's been a little hard is here I am hanging out in South Lake Tahoe and, certainly getting plenty of recreation, but the hanging out with friends has been a lot harder because yeah. of COVID. It's, I have two elderly parents that live nearby and they're definitely cautious around, I wouldn't say we're on the extreme side of caution with COVID, but we're somewhere right in the middle. We're not loose and we're not you know, overly cautious, but it's, it's that's been a tough one. It's some of my even closest friends, we just can't hang out yeah. indoors right now. We're keeping the pod close. So of course, the good news is that forces more ski tours and mountain bike rides. And That's life. a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's—I guess—it all comes down to how do you adapt. Like, how do you, as a human being and as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and as a creative, how do you adapt in times when you know you you think it's going to be one way, and then life deals you an unexpected card. And I think that's what the pandemic has been for everyone. Well, right? and I think so
0: I that's, the, that's the 800-pound gorilla still in the room. We don't know what the future is. I mean, we have this previous life that we're used to hopping on planes, not thinking twice about hitting the road. But now, with even with the vaccine, I don't know that this is ever going to go away for maybe in In Layla's lifetime, then they won't be worried about it. It'd be like the flu for her generation. But for us, as we transition through the fixes and the remedies and the vaccinations and all the different things, is that going to take two years? Is that going to take 20 years? It's an unclear future for us.
3: Yeah, yeah. I certainly don't claim to be an expert on that one. No, I mean, that, that's <laughs> yeah, that's certainly. I have no
0: idea. Could be could be the vaccine will solve it all, and we'll be back to normal. That'd be
3: great. Yeah, I've definitely learned, and I think this comes from sort of mountain experience. It's you learn to adapt and cope with whatever situation right. you're in. You fly halfway around the world, and you plan to go right. on an expedition, and you plan for dry weather, but it rains the whole time, and you end up wearing a trash bag for you know yeah. 15 days. I think we're in that world. It's, yeah. We're going to be wearing masks, and there's going to be certain protocols and lifestyle changes that we hadn't accounted for. But life will go on, and yeah. even our industry will it will go on. Oh, yeah. We're seeing yeah. that yeah. we're still doing. We're slowly tiptoeing back into major production. Yeah, 30, 40 people on a set, and everyone's wow. getting co- COVID tests every day, and everyone's wearing masks and social distancing and hand yeah. sanitizing, and there's a new role on the crew. And it's the the COVID compliance officer yeah, for the big shoot. Yeah. So it's I think we I think that's one thing we've proven as as humans and I think certainly as storytellers, we're pretty adaptable people. Like we're persevere and we'll adapt and we'll do it as safely as it can possibly be done. Yeah. And yeah. I think as, as a society we're making strides in the right direction with vaccinations and,
1: yeah, yeah, we're we'll so,
3: yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this how this plays out for society, but also for the you know outdoor and and photography you know, video storytelling industries. Yeah,
0: yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. So let's start with how you got introduced to outdoors and adventure.
3: Yeah, I when I was a gymnast as a kid, grew up mm-hmm. in the Mojave Desert. And when I was ironically about my daughter's age, seven years old in second grade, my second grade teacher had a an elite a gymnast as a daughter, and she thought it might be good for me to try gymnastics. Oh. And I don't know if I was ever hooked on gymnastics, to be honest. Really, I think I, I just liked the challenge of it. Even early on, it was like hard. It was scary and hard. My sister and, did uh,
0: gymnastics. She worked her ass off at it.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was. And then it became a huge part of my life. Gosh, probably for you know, go, close to ten years, maybe wow. a little less than ten years. I became a pretty competitive gymnast, competed at like the state level and, but, but became a pretty good athlete, you know, mm-hmm. really strong, learned discipline, trained hard six days a week, you know, sometimes three mm-hmm. or four hours a day, six days a week. And, did you uh, have a, did was, you,
0: sorry, was it a, did you, was it close? Did you, could you just go to your site? Cause my sister had to get shuttled all around. And then as you get better, you get to go to the different club over here, which has a better coach. So was there a lot of commute time, so to speak?
3: We were in a pretty rural community, actually. We lived in near the Antelope Valley. I oh, lived yeah. in a tiny, a tiny town called Leona Valley. Mm-hmm. And so it was 20 minutes to get to the gym. Oh, man, wow. And then my mom and dad, they shuttled me. Now, there was this crazy moment where it was a nonprofit gym. There was only, I think it was just one gym in town. Mm-hmm. And at one point, we were losing the coach and my parents because I was pretty involved they offered to let the new coach that we hired a coach from Michigan. He was like some stud, like <laughs> national team member just out of college. Yep. He moved into our house and really? stayed with us and Tony Lanzaro was his name. And then my world really changed. Then it was like the coach lived in our house. So I went to the gym whenever Tony went to the gym. And I remember Tony rolled into town. He had hardly Davidson, like with the, the like high handlebars. (laughs) And I was like 10 years old sitting on the back of his Harley going to the gym. And Tony was a badass. Tony was like, he was the real deal, took it to the next level. I got (laughs) so fit. It's definitely where I learned self-discipline and where I mastered the art of pushing hard and, Mm -hmm. and forcing myself to live outside of the comfort zone. And Tony went on to produce a couple of Olympians, like oh, wow. of just, yeah, badass girls, like the, the girls team mm-hmm. was incredible. But so Tony helped sculpt me into being this pretty solid athlete. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so then one day we had a pull-up contest in junior high school and I did 35 pull-ups <laughs> and then one of the school teachers took notice of me and invited me to go rock climbing.
1: Bob oh Porter. cool
3: and and that weekend my brother and i went climbing we went to the need- needles of california a little spot mm-hmm. called dome rock and that was it like i was hooked i just I, I loved every aspect of climbing the mental the physical the cultural components just the drive up to the needles with, mm-hmm. with two mm-hmm. of my school teachers it was bob and george egbert and and i was hooked and then the next weekend i borrowed my dad's camera because I wanted to make better pictures, you know, make, tell better stories of Mm, those weekend mm -hmm, adventures. mm -hmm. And I realized right away that, you know, my dad had a pretty nice camera, but my photos still sucked. And I realized, oh, it's not about the camera. It's about, you know, how you use it and how you think. And and, uh, within a week, two passions were born, a passion for adventure, for climbing, and a passion for storytelling. And I really you know, In parallel, I started to try to climb as much as I possibly could. And in the gym, I started ad hoc training for climbing. Mm-hmm. And then I started consuming as much literature on photography as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. Like I, I was on the track, who I wouldn't have known then at what well, I don't know what that was 13 or 15, 13, 13 years old that, gosh, over uh, 30 years later, yeah. that would be my career. <laughs> yeah.
0: Where did the storytelling part come from? Do you have any storytellers in your family?
3: I think my dad was always this oral storyteller. He loved yucking it up, like shooting the shit with mm-hmm. his buddies in our kitchen or around a campfire. My dad was a scuba diver, like okay. big into back in the day when mm-hmm. it was a little more wild west off the Channel Islands. Yeah, in right. California. And you, could, and
0: you so- could actually bring home stuff to eat.
3: Exactly, I always joke that we used to eat like abalone, like it was ground beef. I mean, just (laughs) we had so much abalone. We had like hundreds of abalone shells in our backyard in buckets. But yeah, he and his buddies would every Friday after work they would take off and they would get on a dive boat off of out of Ventura or Oxnard, go out for two days, and they would come back with wild tales of adventure and Mm -hmm. some food to eat. Hmm. And so I think I learned it from him. I mean, and he used to love telling stories about work. My dad was an educator. Okay. He was a, first a teacher at the high school level, then a counselor and then vice principal, and then became a uh, an assistant superintendent at a pretty big school district in the Antelope Valley. Hmm. And I think he always, he was just a good storyteller like he would come home and tell some crazy tale of you know <laughs> a kid blowing up and the sheriff coming to school and the parents having to get arrested not always <laughs> doom and gloom right but he just he could see the light like yeah, he, could, yeah. he understood sort of the highlights of his day and told even a better story of a uh, scuba diving and so did his buddies you know, with yeah, yeah. great friends and I think I, that's I think that's where I learned it but then it got taken to the next level that's part of the climbing culture I would get in the mm-hmm, car with mm-hmm. Bob Porter and George Egbert my school teachers. And for three hours on the drive to the needles, they would tell stories and then we'd get back in the car and tell more stories. And I think you quickly learn, I don't know a climber that doesn't tell stories. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that's really, that's part of the culture. I
0: don't think I know an outdoor person that doesn't tell stories. That's part of the yeah, deal, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's
3: right. That's yeah. right. Half of them are true, and the other half wildly exaggerated. <laughs> right. And half
0: of the <laughs> the story that they tell, it, there's only like maybe twenty percent of it that's true. The rest of it was <laughs> embellished to the hill. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And so, what was your first commercial shoot? I guess you had you shot the climbing that you did. So that's your, probably your first outdoor adventure activity shooting. But what was your yeah. first, first commercial shoot?
3: I, I started to shoot a ton of climbing. That was my my passion. And I, it's worth saying that I, it, I simultaneously was really trying to just become a better photographer. Okay. And so I started this parallel pursuit. I, I, I started working at the local newspaper, taking on assignments for the Antelope Ballet Press. Okay. And then in college, I went to the Modesto b I got in two internships, two back-to-back summers. And so I was learning to tell stories, editorial storytelling for the Mm -hmm. newspaper. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I took a semester off from college, and I drove around the western United States photographing rock climbing. And did two unsolicited submissions at the end of that semester off, one to Climbing Magazine and one to patagonia the clothing brand oh cool and much to my surprise that both of them called me within a weekend wow just some pictures and that was so unintentionally or those two unsolicited submissions those were really my first climbing photographs to get published one was the cover of climbing magazine it was like a photo of my super close friend ricky ashoy climbing in the Tablelands right above your house oh yeah mm-hmm. and and then the other photo. I don't remember what it was, but it was a lifestyle photograph that published in the Patagonia catalog. Mm -hmm. And that was really the first commercial paycheck that I ever received. And then that those that those two first experiences really opened the door. Mm to making money, becoming a professional photographer. I mean,
0: probably it opened two doors. Food. Yeah, probably opened the yeah. door for you because you could see that, hey, this is a, a thing. And then it also put you on the map so that other people.
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely those two brands. Mm-hmm. I started getting published in like every issue of Climbing Magazine. Yeah. And then eventually Rock and Ice Magazine, I had the cover, Future Story inside. And then Patagonia became my my real client because mm-hmm. the commercial clients pay so much more, you know, triple or, you know, quadruple, what a, an editorial client pays. And Patagonia, I owe a lot to the climbing magazines and to Jane Sievert and Karen Bednorse at, mm-hmm. at Patagonia at the time. And I started getting first spec assignments where they would pay for my film and they would mm-hmm. pay for the trip. And then they would just license the pictures they wanted at Patagonia and some first assignments at climbing and rock and ice. And then I think you're right. As my name just started appearing in magazines and in Patagonia catalogs, the phone just started ringing more frequently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that opened the door to ad agencies calling and other outdoor brands. And it, it was a pretty steep incline. Like it went from <laughs> I was a, a nobody who worked at a newspaper for two years to save up 3000 bucks to go on a road trip right. to the phone was blowing up and You know, I was having a hard time passing my classes in college because (laughs) I was I was on the road. Did you You finish college? No, I never did. I'm I'm three I'm three classes shy. Oh, that's so close. uh, Yeah, which and it took a monumental, Herculean battle to even get to that point. I mean, I was I was just the last two years of college. I, I think, without exaggeration, I was probably. On the, I probably only attended twenty percent of my classes.
1: <laughs> sure, yeah, and, that makes and, sense. And I,
3: I, to this day, I'm surprised that I pulled that off. <laughs> I know my dad would love one day for me to finish. I'm just not sure that's actually in the cards.
0: Well, in these <laughs> days, it's it's a whole different world. I'm not sure the college degree holds as much cachet as it did back then. But
3: yeah. yeah. So how did that you said, get? That said, just in case there's kids listening, I will <laughs> say that I got a ton out of college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I in no way would endorse. While I didn't finish, and I think the only obstacle that might create is one day I could envision myself being a college faculty member. Mm -hmm, And that mm -hmm, might be a barrier, but who knows, maybe I can convince, twist someone's arm into making an exception. But I will say those, my five years in college definitely paved the way and opened the door to just life experience and exposure and intellectual conversation and and opportunity that I don't think I would have found had I just gone straight out of out of high school into pursuing yeah. my passion.
0: Yeah, same for me. I, I stumbled into the recreation degree and here I am thirty years on in an outdoor career. So don't I just think that college is one of many options as we, yeah as the world right. expands. Yeah. So that's right. How did you get involved with Nova Select? When did that start? Did that start back then or was it a little later?
3: Yeah, there's a bit of a history there. Gosh going on. I'm terrible with time, so I could be off by a decade. <laughs> we, won't a we won't hold it direction. We won't hold it twenty plus years ago in the early part of my career i was just a prolific shooter i was shooting all the time for the magazines and for patagonia and i owned all of that work and so i was a big chunk of my income was re-licensing the the images that i had shot Mm -hmm. so i might shoot it for patagonia or for some brand and then two years later i would be licensing it again Mm -hmm. and again and it, and it was the tail end of the heyday of stock photography. I mm-hmm. missed the true heyday. That was 20 years earlier, you yeah, know, yeah. early 90s, late 90s. And, but I was making a lot of money, a big chunk of, I shouldn't say a lot of money, but a, a chunk of my income mm-hmm. was stock photography. And at that point, my office was in my downstairs of my house in South Lake Tahoe. And I had one staff member, I had two staff members, and one of them was dedicated entirely to licensing stock photography it was wow. that large a, That's huge. a business for us and at one point a, a photographer an entrepreneur in the space jose azel reached out to me or he sent an email i think to a half dozen photographers and he said he owned a company called aurora photos which is mm-hmm. a you know, very high-end stock photo agency yep. it was founded by a few national geographic photographers and Jose had sent an email to a few of us and he said, if would you ever be interested in a brand that focused on outdoor adventure photography? And I was hit up for ideas like this all the time. And I responded while flying back to Reno. You know, mm-hmm. I have a laptop and I that was way before Wi-Fi on planes. Right. And I wrote. A response, a real simple response. I didn't know Jose personally, mm-hmm. but I said, yeah, I'd be interested, but I'd have to have some equity in the company. Otherwise there's no point.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And landed in Reno, sent, you know, a hundred emails that I'd written while I was on the plane. <laughs> right. And uh, by the time I had walked out to my car, my cell phone was ringing and it was Jose on the other line. Wow! And we had this long conversation about what an ideal outdoor adventure stock agency would look like. Mm-hmm. And then we did an experiment and a few of us we all kicked in some money and committed some of our photography to create a collection within aurora and that was dan and janine Patatucci, mm. brian bailey scott markowitz and greg von dorsten
1: mm.
3: we all were the the founding members Scott um, was
0: on the show a couple weeks ago, actually.
3: Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Scott's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. He's a fantastic guy an OG legend in this yeah, industry. Right. And so we all did this together and, and it was an experiment. Some guys learned it was for them. Some guys learned it wasn't for mm-hmm. them. And over time I was the last man standing. It was the right <laughs> fit for me. And, and it evolved over time into Jose and I were um, partners in, in Aurora photos and then we found, we created a, a, an assignment agency that was run out of New York City that was originally called Aurora Novus. And meanwhile, the economy changed, and we watched kind of ups and downs in our industry and evolution of our industry. And anyhow, it eventually it evolved into what it is today, which is Jose is no longer in the business, and Aurora mm-hmm. Photos sold off the stock photography agency side. Is no longer owned by Jose or me. And Novus Select, which is the assignment and production company side, is owned by four partners, three of my really close friends here in South Lake Tahoe. And that's uh, Win Ruji, Lincoln Else, and Andy Mead. Okay. And we have an incredible staff. We have 13 full time employees. Wow. And uh, we have an office, our, our office address, I, I love saying this word. <laughs> 1111 ski run boulevard. So nice. you know, more easy to remember. Yeah. And yeah. So we are a production company slash hybrid assignment agency. And we, we still have a, a, a foothold in the outdoor adventure space, but it's mm. not the bulk of what we do. We found this sweet spot where a lot of our work is in kind of technology. We're working for fortune 500 brands telling stories. And that's everyone from Apple to Google to Amazon to wow. you know, other, other startups and um yet we still we're all passionate storytellers and Mm -hmm. so we're still working on you know documentary films and we're still working on photo shoots that take us to wild outdoor adventure destinations. one thing that we've stumbled into is that damn it's kind of hard to grow up and make enough money to pay a mortgage and save for your kid's college education Mm -hmm. exclusively working in the outdoor industry that's Um,
0: uh that's i think the outdoor industry is beginning to deal with that as an an entity because it comes up in a few conversations and you start to see articles about it lately it's i just had to go do something else yeah
3: Yeah. and it's and don't get me wrong i think it's for three quarters of my career it was amazing yeah it's great Um, yeah Yeah. and it's it's i i am who i am because of the outdoor industry same here many many of my values are i evolved and Mm -hmm. i established because of the outdoor industry and it's still a huge part of who i am Mm and but we also i think as partners at Novus we figured out this hack which is gosh we can still do the work we love which is the outdoor adventure right. work is a portion of it but we can also do highly stimulating challenging work in larger industries where mm-hmm. you know there's a, a z- one or two zeros added to every job yeah that's nice um, yeah. On, on the invoice yeah and and yeah it's, it feels like a really sweet spot right now we have an incredible staff of, of people that I work with, a the team there. That's great. I'm I'm blown away every day how impressive our team is, each individual, but then as a team, yeah. how well we perform. We'll link to and, that in the yeah, show
0: notes. You guys have always pr- produced some great work. Yeah.
3: Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah it's, and I'll say I appreciate you linking to us in the show notes. It's an interesting one when folks go to the Novus website, yeah. folks will scratch their heads a little bit. They'll be like, "Wait, I thought he said they don't do outdoor adventure work." But then you'll see <laughs> our real or it's not our mainstay. But then you'll yeah. see our real and there's a lot of adventure work and you'll see some of the examples of what we have done. And one of the interesting phenomena is when you're working in that Fortune 100, Fortune 500 world a lot of the work we do, we're just not allowed to share or take credit for. Mm -hmm. And, and I think there's a bit of a, as partners and as a staff, we've checked our ego at the door and said, that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. I think we're growing. It's like, we're being paid to grow. We're doing challenging work. We're super proud of a lot of the work that we do. It's just, we have to, and we get paid well for it, but we have to own the fact that much of it we can't put on our website. Well so that's,
0: to... <laughs> Yeah, but that's admirable because that shows that you're committed to the craft as opposed to the You're committed to the client, but it really doesn't matter who the client is. You're all about the story and the imagery and, yeah. and all those things, which I think is very admirable. You guys are gonna tell a great story and capture great images. Doesn't matter if it's Navardis or the Bishop Chamber yeah. of Commerce. It's gonna yeah. be what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Do what you do. That's great.
3: Wait, do we have a piece up there by Novartis, or did you I, don't just, know. I just uh, made that up? That up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's really hilarious. We do work for Novartis. Sorry, yeah, Novartis. No, I didn't. know. That. I don't know anything. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's really fun. that is. Yeah, funny. we we flew to. I'm also that you saying Novartis. I think it's there's a little nugget of insight in that the industry's small. I've known you for a long time, and our paths. Mm-hmm. We've crossed paths many times, and we'll continue to cross paths. We've actively had an internship program at Novus over the last. First one, it was Corey Rich Productions. I remember that our photos at Novus Select. We've had dozens and dozens of interns, paid internships over the years, and one of our interns, Bjorn, he was from Maine, but had his mother was from Switzerland. And after he left us, he ended up with a job at Novartis in Switzerland and brought us in to do a pretty major production in Switzerland two years ago. And so the lesson in there is the network that you're building, those relationships, it's really important to maintain quality relationships with people because Mm -hmm. you never know where it's going to lead. And in the best way, we we laughed many times when we were in Switzerland working with the orn. Now our intern was our boss, right. and uh, you know, and and there was that was not lost on him either. He found great humor and right, <laughs> and right, joy in telling us what we needed to do. And when
0: and, <laughs> that must have been fun. Uh, this podcast but, is a great, great example of that too. It's a collection of the people I've met over the years and also the connections that they've made for me. So it's, yeah, it's just been, a, it's a great community and it, it's amazing where it takes people. It starts in the outdoor biz, but look at for you guys, it connected you with someone like Novartis. It's, yeah. you never know where the path is going to lead. So
3: Yeah, and for me, and in, in just to close that circle or that, that thread, the outdoor adventure piece of my life, it's, I live it every day. Mm-hmm, I mean, it's mm-hmm. I. in fact, I, I have to admit, I'm so glad that I looked at my calendar last night because i (laughs) right before i went to bed i noticed oh i'm doing this podcast because i in my brain was going to get up at 5 30 and go for a ski tour (laughs) and and i'm glad and i'm glad so i get a dose of that outdoor adventure every day living in tahoe it's why i live in tahoe and and there's now and i It's true that I probably shoot an outdoor adventure picture every time I go out for an adventure, whether that's riding my bike, Mm -hmm. whether that's Mm -hmm. skiing, whether that's climbing. The the difference is I don't always bring my Nikon. I think sometimes I'm Mm -hmm. truly out there for myself. And and if I see something amazing, I shoot a picture with my iPhone and it's more kind of a record shot, something Mm -hmm. that I... It's a memory. It's a quick moment. I'm not always trying to publish everything that I shoot.
0: Geez, we won't um, go down this path. But the new iPhone 12, holy cow! That, yeah, that, it's, uh, it's pretty. You might yeah. be able to publish some of those. That's
3: amazing. No, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I, yeah. but I, and and then I also find that I can, if I chose to, I could fill my year with exclusively, mm. you know, non-outdoor adventure storytelling. Right. But I also know that's not the right balance for me. That right. I. I need to open my door so my dog can come into my office. And, but I do, I make certain it's one of the realities is I need to make sure that every year I'm doing a few expeditions mm-hmm. or kind of adventure trips and that I'm not exclusively telling stories, which are, you know, non-adventure. I need enough of that to feed my soul both yeah, same, creatively same yeah. Yeah. and, and just from a creatively and even physically yeah. I need to go out and suffer and get cold and wet and be uncomfortable for you know, a couple of weeks at a time.
0: Yeah, it's got to be some makes, multi-day stuff. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It just makes being home and working on projects that don't make me as uncomfortable physically right. more right. enjoyable.
0: We're going to take a little break and give some love to our sponsor, Wolfgang Man and Beast. Spring is here and I know you and your pup have been itching to get outside. Wolfgang Man and Beast celebrate the unique relationship between dogs and their people. They offer American-made leashes and collars for your pup using only the finest American leathers and textiles. Plus, a distinctive collection of t-shirts and hats for you. Built domestically and transported minimally, they will be replaced rarely. Visit theoutdoorbizpodcast.com slash wolfgang and get your pup a new leash or collar today. I see wet, slobbery kisses in your future. So, is there a shoot? In your past, that was particularly epic—either crazy weather. Or I've heard some of your travel stories; those were pretty crazy stories. Cranky subjects?
3: Yeah, not cranky subjects. I have to say, I That's cranky cool. subjects. I've I've done a pretty good job of getting cranky subjects before <laughs> I even commit to going on the trip, and and there aren't many. I have to say, in our industry,
0: not many. You know, yeah,
3: I think people have bad months or bad weeks on on an expedition, and. But in general, look, I've spent a lot of time around all of the best, many of the best adventure athletes, and Mm -hmm. they're pretty solid. Yeah, And even some of the folks that get bad raps that maybe were a little quirky. A lot of times, too,
0: as the trip gets rough and the weather gets rough, those guys, their personalities get better. It's like that brings out. All the stories come out, and they just get committed, and they just grind it out. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what my sweet spot, I'm still at the core I'm a rock climber. Like, mm-hmm. I just love the climbing culture. I, I love skiing, I love mountain biking and I love kind of adventure trips but climbing is climbing is as special as it gets. There's just a certain breed of human that loves climbing. yeah and, you know'm to this day I really I still light up when I'm you know on a climbing trip and hanging on the side of a wall. This past summer, one amazing aspect of the pandemic was again I'm home. And a year ago, gosh, just over a year ago, pre-pandemic, even, my our dear friends Chris McNamara and his wife Victoria mm-hmm. were at our house, and we're all gathered around the our kitchen island. And I think Timmy O'Neill and his now wife Sarah O'Steal, or Sarah now Sarah O'Neill, we're joking. We always call them the O'Steals because she used to be <laughs> Sarah Steele. Oh, and we were all in our kitchen pre-pandemic talking about couples trips. And the ladies, Sarah, Victoria, and Marina, my wife, said, let's climb El Cap together. And the guys, of course, brushed it off. Like, that ain't happening. You know, <laughs> humored them. And sure enough, in the middle of the pandemic, we went and did a three couples ascent of oh, the cool. Zodiac. And right so, on. yeah, six, six of us did the Zodiac. And, and it was, God, it was awesome. Not that my job was exclusively to take pictures. My job was to, like, make sure Marina was safe and watch over the whole party sure but it it just a year has passed or had passed since i've been on lcap and it was a reminder of just like that's i love that place Mm -hmm. i love being in a big vertical environment and seeing the forest below and birds flying by and looking through my lens looking through the camera and making compelling images it's just such a It's a wonderful space to make images. That's a cool place. That that has never gone away for me. Mm -hmm. It's still like that kind of lights the fire every time I start ascending a line or hanging in my harness with the camera strapped to my back yeah
0: i think rafting river on the river for me is is that spot i don't get to mm-hmm. do it much anymore we don't have white water here and I, my knees are so hammered i'm not sure i could anchor myself in a boat properly but mm-hmm. it's that's the place just same kind of thing there's just action there's water yeah. There's moving things there's things to deal with it's it's pretty fun yeah yeah, absolutely. So when you get an assignment or when you go negotiate an assignment, how do you go about developing the story of the shoot? Do you ever do you have a recipe in mind ahead of time or does it come up during the brainstorming session? How does that come about?
3: Yeah, I'm a really collaborative guy. I, when a project comes up, I think that's 80% of the reason I get hired. It's, so there's a lot of guys, men and women, that can take a nice photo or shoot an interesting looking video. Yeah. But it's the approach and the story and the narrative and the logistics piece, I think, is honestly where maybe I shine the most. And mm-hmm. maybe that's through now just years and years of experience. I always say that the reason I get hired is not because of what I can do. It's, it's because of the mistakes I've already made and that I won't <laughs> make again. It's really true. And I feel yeah. like so often I get hired and it's, you know, right at the end the beginning of the project i can already identify the potential issues Mm -hmm. and you know that's what i end up talking about for the first couple of hours with the client is let's not do this because Mm -hmm. i can see this issue and let's not do this because and i think this is the best approach and so it's that process and approach Mm -hmm. that i really i love the process and in the process comes the story development And it's a lot of brainstorming and talking and thinking. Mm -hmm. It's also the right team. That's the other. It's interesting, even in Hollywood, a director wins an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. The reality, and they do a good job of it when they stand up and give a speech, it's Mm -hmm. It's not them because they were key. They were the CEO of the film. But the reality is there were you know so dozens many of people, people yeah, yeah. that are super smart and contributed a ton and made thousands of decisions along the way right. that made that film work and not become a total disaster. And I think in any project that I do. It's sure, it's me that at the end of the day I'm responsible for don't f it up. But there's also anywhere from one to you know a dozen people who are equally as engaged and Mm -hmm, involved mm -hmm. in making smart decisions at every turn. So I do think the secret is surrounding one being committed. It's being truly focused and. And trying to think like chess, you're thinking a few moves yep. ahead. Yep. So well put. It's okay. If we do this, then what does that mean? What's the consequence? What's the benefit? Yep. And and then it's surrounding yourself with the right team. It's, right. it's not cutting corners. It's engaging the right people who have the right motivation, the right skill set, the right time availability, and and then diving wholeheartedly into it. And and that's the process. The truth is, like that mm-hmm. is that is the process that I've been using for you know, close to 30 years now, just in the beginning, it was, in the beginning, it was mostly me. And I just did most of the, I put in all the blood, sweat and tears. And then slowly over time, I had the ability to get other people involved and help. And, and it's not that you bring other people in, not to do the work for you, you bring other people in to do the pieces that they're better at so that you can focus on the stuff that there's certain things that I'm the expert and that's where my time should be going. I should, my time should be going to the highest level story development and decision making the visual aesthetic, some of the logistic stuff. Can I do it? Yeah, I probably can. Although Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll admit I'm some of the day to day, how to do it. I've, I've been a little detached from that now for yeah. years or the financial side, or could I do? Yeah. No, you know, I, I was going
0: to say that's part of the team too, is make sure not only you have the right members, but you have the right members in the right assignment.
3: That's because, right. That's exactly
0: right. You, know, you can and have I, the right you know, guy, say, but like you say, you get some guy who's a great, you know, digital editing guy, but you put him there schlepping bags. Yeah. the Right guy, yeah, but no, wrong job.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's the right people doing the right jobs. Mm-hmm with kind of the, the right mental attitude. That's the other key is, right. you know, I've definitely met folks that are really good at what they do, but bad attitude. <laughs> and so quickly they're off the team.
1: Yeah. I and mean, it's, yeah. you
3: know, I, I think so, uh, Brian Bailey or, or Ace Cavalli said this to you years and years ago, 20 years ago. I don't know if you know, Ace, mm-hmm. Ace is another, a couple times. Just, yeah. yeah. Legend in the adventure sports world. And Ace, you know, gave me some kind of in passing some advice, which is look, or people just want to work with people that they enjoy being around like good people. And now I think I understood that then, but Mm -hmm. now I understand it's not just clients want to work with people that they enjoy being around as a, I'm going to say a director or the the project lead, I want to work with people that I enjoy being around, whether that's our full-time staff at Novus or contractors that we hire, the person that's good at what they do that has, that's just a little off short.
0: Yeah. I can relate to that through some of the, the brand jobs I've had over the years, you get you get a great team and everything just hums along and then you get to a place where, uh, Oh yeah, this is good, but I remember when we were at And it's like any sports team, any like you say, expedition team. It's It's all chemistry. Yeah, it's it's, chemistry. And sometimes it's it's hard to read. You won't you don't know you get out there and you go, Oh Man, this is not quite right. You persevere, like you were talking earlier. So yeah. So before your daughter walks in, let's talk about. <laughs> she's about to wake up. I think you said. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Tell us about your book. The Stories behind the images came out in I think you said 19, 2019. What spawned that idea? I
3: think, yeah, end of end of two thousand nineteen. Okay. You know, it yeah. Really came out of I was putting together essays for for my blog this goes back gosh five seven years ago maybe even close to 10 years ago when blogs were the thing i found myself i was working with andrew bicharot who's a Mm -hmm. very talented writer and very close friend of mine andrew and i were on it usually on a monthly basis every now and again we'd crank out two in a month picking a photograph and then telling the story behind that image oh cool and and gosh we It started out as just a fun project, and then we published like 80 of those essays over a few years. And they were anywhere from 500 words to 3,000-word essays. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they started out instructional. Usually it was like, how did I make this picture? And then we realized it just wasn't that fun to do how-to essays. Mm -hmm. The the more I could tell stories of how I bumbled and fumbled, the mistakes (laughs) I made, the caricatures of the people in the photographs. One, it was way more fun to tell those stories. And two, just the engagement was significantly higher. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we got like hundreds of thousands of views on these essays. And, and then, we, of course, we started you know, publishing on the blog, but then we would publish on social media, on Facebook mm-hmm, at the time. Mm-hmm. And that got even more traffic. And we got to the point where we had published, I think it was something like 80 of these essays. Wow. And one day, Andrew and I looked at each other and we said, God, I mean, we've written a book. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's, here it is. But it's going to require editing. Sure. And so we, I decided let's self-publish a book. And so we went down this road of Andrew and I edited those eighty essays down to fifty-ish essays, sometimes combining themes and eliminating the the less kind of interesting essays. Mm-hmm. And and that was fun but difficult process to get it tighter. And uh, we, Lindsay Thompson, one of our producers at Novus, we went down to San Francisco and met with printing houses. And, mm, sure. and we, Lindsay and I hired a designer and we laid out the whole book. And, and then I was, I remember I was flying to Siberia for an expedition. And I was, I was a massive sequence of travel and I was going to be <laughs> gone for a month. And on the first flight, I needed to make the decision which, which printing house oh, we we're wow. going to use. And I remember thinking to myself, what the fuck are we doing? Why are we going to publish this? This just sounds write a check for 25,000 right. bucks to print right. it. And two, we were going to have boxes of books and we we're right. going to have deal distribution and marketing and, yeah. and a book tour. And so I remember I landed somewhere in the United States before the first international flight. And I called Lindsay and I said, Lindsay, I, like pause, I pull the e break." we have the book in hand. Let's send that book to a few publishers and just see if they want to take it off our hands. Smart, smart. So, so we sent it to Patagonia. They have a publishing division. We sent it to the Mountaineers in in Seattle. And then I had previously 20 years earlier published a book with Chronicle books. And so Mm -hmm. we were committed to giving them the first right of refusal. Mm -hmm. So we sent it to Chronicle and, And it was pretty awesome. I disappeared. Like we had a sat phone, (laughs) but we couldn't really, I couldn't, and it was really to call home. And I went into the Siberian tundra for a month, you know, three (laughs) weeks. And when I came out, I called Lindsay when I got to kind of the first landline. And, And Lindsay said, Patagonia is super interested. The Mountaineers is super interested. And uh, chronicle's is going to pass. They're not doing photo books. Wow. And, and long story short, we went with the Mountaineers, mm-hmm. and it was the best decision that we made. That's and great. You know, it's great book, fantastic. It's thanks, thanks. They did a great job. They they probably evolved to ten percent, like some mm-hmm. layout changes and some copy edits. And uh, but more importantly, we just had smart people. That's what they do every yeah, day. Exactly. That was, yeah, yeah,
0: that was a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they had a
3: distribution channel in place, and we helped them. Yep. They helped us with the book tour. You know, I bet we did twenty-five or thirty stops around the country, at mm-hmm. the book tour stops, and mm-hmm. that was super fun. And thank goodness it came out pre-COVID. I mean, I did. Yeah, it, I, I think you wouldn't have like been a able a to travel. Yeah, one of the <laughs> oh, things. Yeah.
0: One of the things you did. I don't remember where I saw this, but I saw a couple. Maybe you were on Facebook or something, but you were sitting with Leilana reading. She was reading or she was picking the stories. That that would be a great little thing. And if you guys out there listening want to check these out. I think they're on Facebook, but yeah, some of those little interactions were, yeah. that was cool. I love that.
3: Yeah, that was fun. That was right at the beginning of the pandemic. You asked, why did I do the book? The truth is I did the book because I, I'm planning to live until I'm a hundred, but if I got <laughs> hit are. by a bus, yeah, yeah, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I wanted Layla to have thats cool some of these stories. And if I hope it makes some other people happy along the way and brings joy to their life, but I really wanted this to exist for Layla. Yeah, that was very cool, yeah. And that was pretty fun at the beginning of the pandemic. I just impromptu started sitting down and reading her a chapter. Yeah. Was, you know, and she got to pick the and, chapter,
0: right? Because I remember a couple times yeah. you looked at it and go, Really? That's the mm-hmm. one you're gonna pick.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That and was pretty funny. So yeah, I wish I would have stuck to that and finished the book, but then loosened get, up yeah. a little with the pandemic.
0: Yeah, you can get back to it. Do it do, do yeah, one a month yeah. or something. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions or advice for folks wanting to get into the photo game, the storytelling game?
3: Yeah, I think about this frequently. I bet you get asked Um, a lot. Yeah, it it just struck me recently that I think so often we look at the past, what worked, what are the lessons that we can learn from the past, Mm -hmm. and how has the Mm -hmm. industry worked. And of course, you should do that. Mm -hmm. You should look at what makes a great photographer, a great director, a great storyteller, understand the craft. But in terms of and, and understand what worked from a business perspective, but never feel confined by what what worked in the past I mean, mm-hmm. i think we're truly living in like the the golden age of storytelling it's right mm-hmm. now it's yeah. right now it's yeah. you're no longer beholden to a publisher that you're begging them to publish your photographs you are the publisher mm-hmm. you own Your channel. And so many
0: channels, right? Whether it's podcasting, photography, books, just do your thing.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's 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 well said. I like that. And it's be be innovative. It's your job. I don't have the answer, but it's that 20-year-old kid that's coming out of college or dropping out of college right now (laughs) to drive around in their sprinter van and take pictures and shoot films of climbing. You're not your career is not gonna evolve the same way that mine did. I like I'm old school now. Mm -hmm. I was this guy that shot film and you know, had images published in print magazines for the 20 year old coming out of college right now, they're going to be leveraging the internet. They're going to be leveraging platforms like Instagram and Facebook, and yep. they're going to be doing podcasts and they're going to be creating whatever the next iteration of a blog is or mm-hmm, a scene. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe I'm already using the wrong, and you're going to be shooting in VR, using mm-hmm. venues on Facebook. To with your, your phone, some of the stuff these guys are totally, creating with the phone. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it's going to be more immediate mm-hmm. and you're going to figure out how to monetize all of these platforms and you're going to monetize your audience and you're going to, so it's, I don't have the answers, but I definitely, I I recognize that this is an incredible moment in time from a, a business standpoint and from a storytelling selling standpoint where the power has never been more in the hands of the content creator than mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is it. This yep. is the moment. Your podcast. You own it. You're not beholden yep. to anyone. You do whatever you want with that podcast. It's, yep. You can you can put as much energy or as little energy into this podcast and growing it and monetizing it. And so I think that's the advice. It's. Of course, pay it to study the past, but it's your mission mm-hmm. to figure out what the future is going to look like. And it's—I don't think the future has ever been brighter. No, Storytelling well standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I say this a lot on the show, and people are probably tired of hearing me repeat this phrase but if you scratch your own itch because if you like it I guarantee you there are at least a thousand more people that like it I'm going to re- reference the Kevin Kelly article on a thousand true fans and these days if there's a thousand there's probably a thousand more of those so yeah, you know, do right. what you want to do and pick the channel like you say that's great advice I love that Yeah. as we go to wrap here if you had a huge banner to hang up in front of one of the trade shows we've all been to these trade shows hopefully we'll go again what would it say?
3: What would a banner say? That's, huh.
0: <laughs> or we can go to a different, how
3: about. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually, I think it would be put your money and time in the things that you believe in. Mm-hmm. I think put your money in time where your mouth is. I think it's, I think there's at whatever level you can do that. I think it's, we, for me, I care deeply about being a steward, of our environment and protecting our wild places i also care deeply about and now i have a little girl and i care deeply about our community and providing opportunity for the kids that don't have as much as our daughter has mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's one thing to say that you know, it's another thing to walk the talk support it. To, to put money into the things that you believe in and to put your time into the things that you believe in and it's a lesson i learned years ago i was invited to be on the access fund board of directors. And mm. I, I learned, it was a really pivotal experience. Actually, I learned what it meant to be a steward and to be philanthropic and to actually really help make change. Mm. And and if I feel like now that was at least 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and now is, I still don't consider myself an adult, but I look in the mirror <laughs> and I realize, damn, I've somehow yeah. become an adult, right. but that's it. It's put your money in your and your time where your mouth is, um, I like you know, walk the talk. I
0: like it. Well said. Corey, thanks for the time. It's been great catching up with you. I look forward to doing over a beer one of these days.
3: And, uh, Hey, my, my pleasure. Really good to catch up. And next time we're barreling down three I'll reach out.
0: Yeah. We'll go to the Mount Ramble brewery. Sounds good.
3: Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, thanks, Rick. Really great to catch up. Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you for joining us on another episode of the outdoor biz podcast. Be sure to visit our website, theoutdoorbizpodcast.com, where you'll find show notes with links to everything we talked about and more. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or spread the word and tell a friend about the show. That would really help us out too. Be sure to tune in every week. And thanks again for listening to The Outdoor Biz Podcast with Rick Sayez.